0: Welcome to Conversations With. My name is Shaylee Hugendorn and I live with Bipolar two Disorder. Sharing with others is healing both individually and collectively. Sharing our stories will educate others, bring more understanding, shed more light and smash more stigma. Our voices need to be heard our stories aren't over yet this is bipolar hi everyone welcome back to this is bipolar i'm Shaylee Hugendorn i'm a mom i'm a wife i'm a teacher and also try to be a fierce mental health advocate i my pronouns are she her and i live with bipolar to disorder And this is my guest, which I am so excited. We had a conversation um, on live um, on her page uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, and we had so much fun. We were like, has it been an hour? It was wild. So I'm very excited for you to meet Jess. I would love her to tell us a few things about Jess.
1: Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. So I'm Jess. I am from Malaysia. I've been diagnosed with bipolar 1 with psychosis back in 2019 when I was still working in the UK. Yeah, you know, the classic full-blown mania, psychosis, delirium, the wow. full shebang. We'll, we'll go into it in a, in uh-huh. a second. Yeah, I currently um, run by Polar Comedy Club. It originally started on Clubhouse, you know, purely a um, audio community, but now it has expanded to so much more. And I even started dabbling in stand-up comedy. So yeah, I guess you could say I've gone a bit rogue. I <laughs> used to work. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the word rogue is exactly that. Um, I used to work in a corporate job um, as mm-hmm. a tech consultant, focusing oh. on like sustainability topics, you know, environment, et cetera. But yeah, now I sell jewelry um, along with other like business pursuits and stand up combi. So
0: that's rogue awesome. Man. Love it. Rogue, rogue. I feel like that's on brand. <laughs> on brand. <laughs> Right? Oh, that's so funny. Yes. And I will put all of um, the information about Jess's account and go follow it. And sometimes she puts clips of her um, comedy on there. I love it. I have not checked out Clubhouse yet. It is on my list. I don't know how to work it yet, but I'm going to try because I can do hard things. (laughs) Right? Yes, I got this. Um, so yeah, let's dive right in, because I would love our listeners to hear more of your story. And so what I wanted to start with is, when did you start to notice, or did you um, start to notice that maybe you were feeling a little bit different, or maybe there was something going on? Um, tell me about that. I'm curious.
1: Yeah, I feel, I guess throughout my life, I've always felt very different. Something was up, but nothing too out of the ordinary yet. Yeah. Um, because I grew up in Borneo, so seeing and hearing things that are not there is actually considered a, a gift. Um, so so I didn't think much of it, but be, like a few weeks, months prior to my, you know, full-blown breakdown, I did feel that something was up. I couldn't sleep. I read so many self-help books that were not helping. <laughs> um, I even, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're not helpful not sometimes. Healthy. I love it. <laughs> um, I even called the um, Employee Assistance Program, which is like um, like a 24-hour phone service to figure out, you know, uh, whether I need therapy, et cetera. Um, so I've called them two, three times, but I didn't um, get like um, a follow-up. Okay, so It's really annoying actually, um, because they kept asking me the same questions, you know, like uh, the checklist. Yeah, um, but yeah, i I felt something was up. I was doing way too much. Um, <laughs> I started composting. Um, I started a wormery in my studio flat
0: yeah you did I remember tell us more about that please and for those folks that don't have bipolar you can't totally laugh at us because it's actually not a good thing but we can laugh at us and then we give you permission to laugh at these sorts of things because it's all we can do it's all we can do because they're hard things right so please tell me about your composting and your worms oh gosh
1: so um, I, I was working in sustainability, right? So I was yes. trying to be vegan, trying to compost, trying to be zero waste, um, all sorts of things all at once. And then I decided, hey, I'm going to learn how to compost in my studio flat. And actually uh, I read a article, a legit article on how to do that. So there I go, there I went. I, I ordered some worms on Amazon, and I started the whole process. I, I even called them um, Wormkanda, you know, after Black Panther Wakanda. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You the did. Whole, the whole Instagram page on on Worm Kanda, <laughs> And then and then um, I I made the fatal mistake of accidentally um, feeding them chili stock um, because I was making sambal. And so they acted a bit different. They were a bit slower um, and I was worried. So I thought they were dehydrated so I added water but that essentially created lava for them. Um, so they started melting. I know, I know. And, and actually this is relevant to why um, that, that led to my um, psychosis yeah. it was because I had, I had a ligament damage at the time. Uh, from from a run, I, I sprained my ankle and it was a ligament damage, and I didn't move it enough, so my body started getting like really painful patches, like red Okay. Patches, I eventually, found out was like dangerous blood clotting from not moving my ankle enough, but I didn't go seek seek the doctors because I felt like I was burning alive, and I deserved it because I burned worms alive. Oh, friend. That's what your brain told you. Wow, I didn't. I, I felt the pain. I couldn't. I couldn't sleep. Also, because whenever I turned, it would be like, you know, like a oh. really. Painful. But I felt like I deserved that because of the karma of
0: killing worms.
1: Oh, oh no,
0: oh. And so was that the start of like one of your biggest manias, or how did, or tell me, keep me going on this journey of hearing about this?
1: Yeah, so um, the, I mean, so much happened, right? Mm. I'm, I'm focusing on the the, the burning part um, and the not sleeping. So I called a colleague, actually. I was, I was frantically scrolling my friends to see who has the green button, meaning they're online. So I called this friend, I uh, did this colleague, um who was on holiday in peru like bless him he was actually on a date (laughs) oh called him and i was screaming at him at like 3 4 a.m my time in the uk Um, and he was like calm down jess calm down jess calm down jess and he called um our managing director who bless him is the one of the most understanding boss ever um because his wife is a clinical psychologist okay so funny t- he actually uh, noticed that i may have my folder way before me um, Really?
0: Fact,
1: yeah he told my career counselor which is like a, a manager, like hey, keep an eye on this one <laughs> yeah yeah so so this managing director called me um after um the The colleague in Peru called him, and he guided me to the hospital. Like, okay, hey Jess, open your Uber app, type in nearest hospital, and like was really you know calm. Um, and so I went to the hospital. They saw my bulges and gave me steroids. I think I don't need to explain what that means. Yeah, lack <laughs> of sleep, restless mind, steroids.
0: Recipe <laughs> for disaster,
1: yeah. Um, and and I didn't just get one scary shot; I got multiple, like through the course of the week. Okay. Um, the first scary shot already put me on thin ice. Um, at the time, you know, my my phone was running out of battery. I couldn't remember anyone's phone number, so I actually hitchhiked home that first day. I know, really dangerous and. Thank goodness the guy who picked me up um, is a good guy, but yeah. I was experiencing pressured speech. I was rapping in his car. <laughs> wow. <laughs> or <what I> thought.
0: <laughs> there you go.
1: Yeah. Oh. Um, and just to finish off what led to the full blown mania, um, yeah. I was, I was um, forced to go back to my appointments, even though I begged like I didn't want to go, I was literally begging, crying. Um, but I still went, I had other steroid shots amongst like um, you know, other checkups and such. Um, and that was whew, full yep. blown, uncontrollable. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I hope to never go back to that state ever mm-hmm. again. Um, but on hindsight, I'm actually grateful that I was forced literally <laughs> Dragged to that yeah. hospital day because yeah. I can't even, you know, imagine if I broke down in that way in public or yeah. you no know, work at work. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, yeah. And, and I've interviewed people that that has happened to. Yeah, yeah. So tell me. So this is in England. Yes. Yes. So yes. tell me. So you you have to go to the hospital. Were you admitted? Tell me about um, what happened next.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was I was admitted. Um, so I was completely out of myself. I was experiencing existential crisis. I thought I was a worm, god, avatar. Wow. Um, and Hermione. Hermione oh. is actually one very poor one, um, and, and like Harry Potter in general, because I'm a Potterhead um, So prior to going to the hospital, Um, I didn't, I had to sign something, um, or else I would be court sanctioned, but I didn't actually know what I was signing into because I thought I was going to Hogwarts. Um, yeah, yeah. I thought I was going to Hogwarts, um, when the, when the porter was wheeling me and I was like, what is your name, sir? And he was like, I'm a porter. So I was like, oh, my God, you are Harry Potter, you know, like, like,
0: <laughs> wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were excited.
1: I was excited. I was so excited. Um, and then days later, I was still convinced that I was in Hogwarts um, at, at, in the mental hospital. But I, I thought something was off because there was no, like, you know, ceremony, there was no classes, you know. So then I was like, maybe I'm in the X-Men Academy trying to figure out like our powers because um at the time you know, there know there's loads of people you know rocking flying on the floor shouting screaming running around so I thought right. like oh they're they're testing out their powers um, but after after a while I, I soon like realized where I was and I was beyond myself I was like I cannot believe that I got myself here um, the realization hit me really, really hard.
0: Um,
1: and I mean because because the the mental hospital that I went to um is quite it's quite historic. it's quite it's it's quite amazing, actually, it's called Bethlehem. So okay. again, I thought I was, I was God because <laughs> fair enough Bethlehem um, and it's actually one of the oldest mental institution in Europe. so it has that like yeah. very gothic Look, um, so you know, can't blame me for thinking it's Hogwarts, um, yeah. and yeah, I, I went back actually after um, a year or so uh, being hospitalized. Uh, it's actually also the Museum of the Mind, so yeah, it's it's quite it's quite cool there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought I was Hermione in Hogwarts, amongst other
0: things. But wow, wow, and so what? How around? How long did you stay? So I stayed for less
1: than two weeks, yep. but I was prematurely um, released Okay. Because I, I personally felt I should have stayed longer. Yep. Um, I was prematurely uh, released was because my parents in Malaysia um, was, was told this and um, they flew to the UK, you know, really last minute flights and sort of demanded my release Right. Um, because my 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 mom is very superstitious, so she felt like I'm fine, etc. I've just been possessed. Um, oh, and wow. then like I'll be I'll be okay after some prayer or you know some 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 things, um, yeah. rituals. So um, and and she sort of threatened the hospital like you better you know, get her out, kind of thing. Um, so so they were very hesitant to release me, but they put me under what's called like a home treatment team. So a nurse would just come by every day to make sure I take my medication. Um, but yeah, I was I was not right. Um and my parents somewhat handled me, so I was I was a danger to myself, but they 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 were you know trying their best. But yeah, on hindsight, I I kind of wish I stayed longer
0: yeah yeah wow and so um as the nurse came they figured out because i know for me i had to like slowly well i had to taken off one med but then slowly go on the other so was that under the supervision of the nurse coming and then your parents as well
1: yeah um the uh hmm, that's a big question so i think at the time i wasn't sure what i was taking i was right. just taking yeah um, but I remember being very non-compliant um, because I, I didn't like what uh, it made me feel so right. I would like it in front of the nurses and just like take a, a, a pinch and then they'll be like no don't do that
0: yeah yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh wow that's that that's intense and to not have your family here that's That's probably um, really, really hard, but I hear you. I hear you about the, the stain, right? It's like, you want to be, you want to be better ish before you go, you go back out. And so um, after that, so you're taking your medication. Did you find, did you stabilize? Did you go into a deep depression? Like what were the next steps? Like, how did you deal with the diagnosis and what happened next?
1: I would say immediately after um, it was it was quite a relief actually to have a, have a label and like a list of characteristics and symptoms that explain everything that I've ever gone through um, and receive the help that I needed. However, <laughs> uh, when it came to medication, I was very hesitant At the beginning, I was constantly trying to get out of it or Mm -hmm. negotiate a lower dose Um, because I was scaring myself by, like, reading the entire list of side effects and being very, like, hypochondriac about it. Like, Mm. I feel this.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, And then, like, can I request a brain scan? Because I think I have tumors. (laughs) Um, Or, like, I think I'm going blind. Um, so, so it was, it was really hard. Um, but eventually I, I got into it. I felt that I was on a really high dose to begin with because it makes sense. I was full
0: blown. Yeah. They had to get you down. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, at some point I was on like 600 milligrams of Lamotrigine, the mood stabilizer, like right now I'm on 150. So 600 is, is a lot. Yeah, and and resolve the, the the antipsychotics as well. Um, so yeah, I was I kept negotiating out of it, um, and and even at some point I I convinced the doctors that I was good enough, so they slowly slowly tapered me down to to nothing. Oh, um, how and, did that go? the the tipping down was actually really good and then a combination of stress, um, a, a near breakup, living in the middle of nowhere, COVID, sort of um, o- overworking, sort of spiraled like hypomania. Yeah. And I, because my my brain was under like overwhelmed, but also overworking, overexcited, that yeah. it like sparked sort of hypomania to a brink of almost full blown mania again. So that was like, I concede, go back yes. onto yeah. medication. Um, but yeah, the deep depression, the numbness, the roboticness, um, I, I did not enjoy. Uh, but r- right now I feel I've reached a suitable dose. Yeah. Um, that still allows me to be stable and creative.
0: Yep, yeah, yeah, oh wow. Um. For our listeners, maybe that um, that are just wondering if they have um, some of these symptoms or people that are listening that uh, love someone and are trying to understand, would you be able to describe, I love how you described um, the delusions, but would you be able to describe what it feels like in your body or um, symptoms that you feel when you're hypomanic and manic, if you can remember?
1: Yeah, um, I would say now that I understand it more, um, the key sign is sleep. So if I if I notice that I'm not tired at all, at all, at all, um, and time just whizzes past, and I realize that I have not slept completely, and I was just doing something, I feel like I'm ultra productive, but actually I've not really done much, and just probably. Dissociated or um, did something and was so absorbed into it, but not really having done much. Um, so I would say that's the first sign if you realize in yourself or other people that they've just not slept. Um, secondly, would be the overexcitement about ideas, plans, business plans, little. Uh, ventures, writing a book. I feel yeah. like that's one. <laughs> How did that Everyone? go? <laughs> um, yeah, and then but that is that is the the manic side. Um, pressured speech. So mm-hmm. if someone can't seem to stop talking, even when you interject, they feel like offended and then continue speaking over you. Um, and then you realize that they're like being extra rude or just talking gibberish, that the sentence structure doesn't even make sense, I feel is a very big sign. Okay. Um, yeah, so that is the sort of mania, um, t- tending towards mania, um, or if they tell you, I see things that are not there or suddenly you know tell you that I think I can fly. Um, then that's also, (laughs) yeah, um, but then the inverse is also true if this person is sleeping way too much, yeah, um, talking very slow, um, not absorbing information, zoning out, um, because presumably thinking about plans, you know, trigger warning, yeah, um, of um, helplessness, um, or voices in the head telling them that or telling me that I'm a waste of space or you know, I'm a burden yeah better you know, not to be here and here's how you can go blah 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 yeah um so yeah it's it's um that that spectrum
0: yeah yeah so when you you had that big um, manic episode I'm curious so you said about um, seeing things that aren't there. And uh, does that still happen? Or was that just like the one time?
1: I feel, like I said, because I grew up in Borneo where culture, um, it's seen as a gift to be able to see and hear things that are not there. So I would say to me, the psychosis part of uh, the the bipolar is not as scary. Um, Interesting. yeah, yeah. Actually, I find that interesting as well. Compared to um, others with whom I've heard, like, oh, they they find the psychosis part the most scary. For me, the most scary um, is the inability to control myself, despite consciousness, despite knowing that what I'm doing and saying is wrong, but I cannot just like cannot control myself. Um, it's like it's like as though I'm in the depths of like my brain watching yeah. myself ruin my life but not be able to like pull myself together yeah that for yeah
0: me, yeah and does it feel like for me the things that I'm doing are same when I'm hypomanic is like uh, it's it's almost like it's really urgent and I have to like if I it almost feels like it's gonna be painful if I don't say it and then as I'm saying it I'm like this is gonna hurt someone's feelings but it's just like it's like it's inside of me and I have to get it out.
1: Yes, yes. Um, And yeah, and the the biggest example for me with with regards to not being able to control myself is during my my biggest breakdown where I was literally strapped to a wheelchair, kicking, shouting, you know, crying, laughing. Um, But I see, you know, my partner at the time and my cousin sort of like in distress um, and, and I was sort of shouting at myself, "Pull yourself together, Jess, look, you think them am sad. Um, you know, like, get yourself together. What are you doing? Like slapping myself from within. Yeah. I remember these thoughts, but I couldn't, I couldn't. Um, and that is very scary. And that is an extreme example. But yeah. there are also minor examples uh, of that, which like I'm aware of it but I cannot control myself. Um but just back to the psychosis part. Yeah. yeah um, so so I I think it's a bit whimsical actually um where where I feel like oh I see a little um thing potentially float by and then and then out of respect I'll be like hi and then move <laughs> on with my day. because <laughs> um, because I'm the only child who's so talking to myself and imaginary friends um, was kind of my norm. It was kind yeah. of my norm. Um, growing up, I used to talk to myself out loud all the time. I have toys that I talk to. Um, and I, like, transfer their spirits onto, like, new toys, into, like, smaller forms. Yeah. Um, I know it sounds silly, but, like, sometimes I carry around, like, a small thingy. And it's, like, comforting, yeah. you know. Um, but recently I, I found out a potential scientific explanation to, to why. Oh, why tell I us, yeah, yeah, it's it's just a potential, you know, like correlation, but yeah. I thought it was quite interesting. So, I had a blood test recently, um, last year, and my Epsom bar virus, one of the like hepatitis family viruses, okay, um, is very very, very high. Um, like a normal person that have uh, Epsom bar is like around 10, but mine was 240. So um, that is correlated with lots of scary things like leukemia. So I had a cancer scare, but it's also correlated with something called the Alice in Wonderland syndrome. Um, and it's very common, Not not very common, but it's it's related to people with Epsom bar and children having like Alice in Wonderland-esque um, visions of like things being smaller than they are, bigger or further than they are, wavier, cult- more colorful, um, having imaginary friends, um, that kind of thing. So I was so fascinated. I was like, Epsom bar is very high and it's related to this thing you you know, Alice in Wonderland syndrome, and I read into it. I was like,
0: that explains my childhood. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's so interesting, yeah. Wow, wow. How, um after you found out, so did you stay in England or did you come back with your parents? Um. So I'm currently back now. I've been yeah. back for a, year, a
1: little bit, um, but after my uh, breakdown, I was there for two and a half years. Okay. So yeah, I, I tried my best to keep up um, corporate, my, my corporate job um, and my life there, and needless to say, it was very, very hard. Um, my, my workplace was supremely, supremely supportive, um, but I just couldn't really get back into the swing of things. I couldn't focus um, the way I used to. I was not as consistent. I was not as resilient. Because of that, like either ping ponging of taking time off and feeling very regretful and burdened to my team, to like I gotta, I gotta, you know, keep keep this up, keep this up, keep this up. Or else I'll get like fired or deported, Mm -hmm. you know. Like so, it was swinging a lot and and um, it was very stressful. COVID, obviously, so um coming back was the best decision I would say looking back um yes I'm earning much less than I was before I've gone a bit rogue like I said (laughs) Um, but I feel like I've been in a really good headspace in the last couple months um actually and yeah I I I love feeling this way yes yeah Um, I feel maybe I've been more stable than
0: my, like, prime. Um, Yeah. And That's amazing. Yeah. It's kind of similar for me in that being a teacher, I, like, once I had my kids, I stayed home. And then now I teach on call, so I get to pick. But I don't work full time because I actually, I don't think, as much as I could do it, I don't think that I would do it well, and I uh, I don't think it would be good for my mental health, right? Because I just it's especially teaching, right? Like you, it never stops. Like you're always working. Um, it isn't like nine to five or whatever, right? And even this week, like I don't usually do more than two, sometimes three days because I get requested. So I work for a lot of teacher friends that I know when they get sick. So there was someone that went off on a mat leave unexpectedly early. So she said, please, the kids know you. Can you be in? So I've done four days in a row this week. And I know to someone that works all the time, it might not seem like a big deal. But for me, getting up at, you know, 6.15, going, making sure my kids have different rides or whatever, it was a really really big deal and uh, like I'm really tired um I don't think that I could could do it and uh, to me that's like I think it's kind of like a stigma or a little bit of shame that I carry around because it's like well even when I say like whoa I worked four full days I'm like you know in my head I'm like a lot of people work that like what's your problem why can't you and then I just remind myself like all of us have different capacities, right? And it's like, well, what would, yes, I could do it, but what would my quality of life be? And I think once I accepted my capacity and accepted, even though it's a process that's always ongoing, I've known since 2010, when I got my diagnosis, but just uh, trying to embrace that it looks different for me. And that's okay. And luckily, I'm privileged enough, like my husband works. We also uh, rent a suite in our house. So I don't ha- like I realize I'm very privileged, some people have to work full time. Um, but yeah, that that really works for me. When you first found out, did you um, did you said your one coworker must have known because he the one that was in Peru, but did you let your coworkers know? What about family? What were reactions? <sighs> Yeah, great question, um,
1: but just addressing the work one, yeah, I, yes, feel, I, feel, I feel very privileged as well and mm-hmm. so happy to hear that you're in a good space. I feel, um, because last year I intentionally took time off work, I called it fun employment, fun unemployment. I <laughs> love it. <laughs> and I feel the biggest takeaway um, and epiphany from that time is realizing what is enough what is enough monetarily, what is enough for a good quality of life for me. And, you know, cliche as it sounds, money does not buy happiness. Um, And, you know, that that trade-off between high-paying job, working all the time, but not having a good mental state versus, you know, yes, earning much less, but relaxing a bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, And being able to pursue what I feel I enjoy as making an impact even in a little way. So yeah, I just want to say that you're also doing a really good thing with your This Is Bipolar channel, your podcast, like in your way, you are contributing. So thank you.
0: Yeah, oh, thanks. And your work too, which I want to, I definitely want to talk about. Um, It's interesting. I I do that a lot. And my friend slash yoga teacher, or whatever, I'll be like, yeah, you know, I didn't work this week. And, I, you know, I'd feel bad. And, and, and I was like, yeah, she's like, but how, what did you do for podcasting? Or what did you do for your? And she'd get me to list the things. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, this is a part time job. Just because I haven't monetized it yet doesn't mean, right, it doesn't mean that it's not a job, but it's like this thing how we think only paid work counts, right? And um, yeah, so I feel really, really honored to be able to do this. And in fact, I'm very, very proud of it because it was a project, Julie, my uh, my old co-host, um, and I started it coming like just when COVID started um, and out oh. of a high yeah, like, cause we were, we were both like had this a bit of hypomanic energy and um, we were supposed to do one collaboration for world bipolar day. And then we talked for four hours and we had a show, but just the fact like we're coming up on, coming up on three years and it's just something that um, sometimes I'm like, oh, I should do a different project or I should do this, or it's not good enough. Or, you know, I get all over the place, but I've really decided like, if I can pour myself into like one thing, I can do it well right? Instead of whereas before, I tried to do so many or when I'm, you know, before I was medicated that I didn't really do anything well. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. Um, I felt for a really
1: long time that I am a jack of all traits, but master of none. Not even a jack of all traits, just all traits. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just like buying random crap hobby things. but absolutely right. I feel I also fell into the bipolar comedy club gig and it fell into the standup part of things. Um, and yes, I have decided also that, you know, uh, keeping, trying to keep consistent, I think has yeah. been a challenge. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I'm also trying to, um, build on this, signing up for standup, uh, open mics as, uh, regularly as I can, hosting things on you know the clubhouse and yeah. Fridays That is that is work, and I yes. enjoy it much despite not monetizing. I tell my parents I'm making negative money, but yes. positive
0: joy. I I'm stealing that. That's great. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that so much. Um, So, yeah, tell me about uh, Bipolar Comedy Club. Tell me about how, like, when did you start the account? What was your vision? What has it turned into? Tell me more about that. Yeah. Um,
1: So, again, I I fell into it because Clubhouse was on all the rage around a year ago. Yeah. It's tippered down a lot. But the support club communities on there are still really strong. they're you know, like for addiction, for bipolar, for um, even you know, carer communities. So I still find that there are pockets of goodness on the house. But anyways, um, actually, the bipolar Comedy club account um, already existed, so I I was not the creator. Okay. But I started I started what's called like rooms, pretty much like um, like an event. So. I just thought, like, hey, this sounds cute, so let me try something. So my first room, I think, was called, like, Monday Manic where people just shared, like, manic anecdotes, you know, of, of their yeah. stories. Um, and it was, it was so fun, you know, because people, um, with, with or without bipolar, just joined in um, and chit-chat about all the, like, crazy things that, that happened, um, and it was really exhilarating for me because prior to Clubhouse, I actually um, came out on LinkedIn. LinkedIn was my first ever, you know, I guess like coming out of the closet, bipolar in a way. Um, so, so back to your previous question briefly about my colleagues, um, my my company was really really good. My MD. Eased me in, like I said, his wife is a clinical psychologist, so he was wonderful. Um, My work was wonderful, but there was still a sense of like self imposed stigma and that fear of like, what do they think? What do they say about me behind my back? You know, all that kind of stuff. And it was a year and a bit after my mental hospitalization that I wrote that LinkedIn article, but it was still very heavy. Still very heavy, despite coming out. Yeah. So when I turned to humor, when I turned to humor, it was just like, like a floodgate open, in a way. Um, because you know, true to the saying, laughter is the best medicine. Um, that was exactly. And slowly but surely, the sharing of my stories about the Hermione, about the worms, about you know, blood clot. Long one. <laughs> and all various other stories um, at, that people encouraged me to be like, hey, open mics are free. Open mics, like, try it, try it. Um, and initially, I just wanted to do one um, open mic just to be like, okay, bucket list, three minutes, that's it. But I enjoyed it so much um, that I decided to keep going back. Um, and now I decided to try to be as consistent as possible with the standup. So that is sort of my, my personal pursuit, but in terms of the community side of things, yeah. So we run a regular um, room called Sunday Funday. So people just join on Sundays to chit chat, hang out, talk about bipolar and non bipolar things. Um, I try to run um, a virtual open mic once a month where people share like their poems, their like songs if they they write them, rap, um, photography, anything really, short stories. Um, So so that we try to keep consistent um, once a month. And yeah, it has been just wonderful meeting people from all over the world, just coming together. And what I love, 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 love about the community, um, I, I don't take any credit because it's just there and it's the people that make it even more special because it is so global that if, let's say I'm facing a crisis in Malaysia at 3 a.m., it's 3 p.m. in New York or somewhere. So there's always this sense of people around to, to be there for each other and strong friendships have been formed. I've, you know, a few accountability buddies, um, so yeah, I don't take any credit for the community side of things, um, but I'm just happy to be part of the organization of the events and such.
0: Yeah. And the community wouldn't be there if you didn't organize things for it. So I love, I love the work that you're doing and, um, yeah, it's, it's the same. I love that you just said that it just resonated so deeply with me when you said, uh, that it feels like there's always people around, right? I found that for years is such a lonely illness, right? Just because it's, um, you know, depression and anxiety, yes, heavily stigmatized, but talked about more, but aren't, I find they're not as demonized than some of what they call the more serious um, mental illnesses. And so it it just felt very lonely and I just, I love now too, that I can see other faces. Cause when I was diagnosed in 2010, there was not anybody on the internet talking about it. You know what I mean? It was just, you could rarely find stories. There was like books and stuff, but I wanted to like see someone. Right. And, um, you know, some people say like, when you do the podcast, like, isn't that so hard hearing these really hard stories all the time. And I'm like, It actually energizes me, not because I want other people to experience that, but just to know deeply that I'm not, that I'm not alone, right? And that's one of the biggest, you you probably get messages like this too, Uh, it, even though there's lots of them, I read every one and I feel like I feel something every time, like I don't take that for granted, that there are messages like that, and so I love that um, that you have that that community too um, what would you say to someone that um just what would you say to someone that would want to start um to do something like that what were some things that that helped you um yeah just what would you say to someone or or if they wanted to start it what would your encouragement be yeah um and and i'm assuming you said uh, to to
1: start like a community yeah like
0: start advocacy advocacy online somehow like maybe your experience with Instagram or I know that's where I am most of the time but yeah
1: I would say start small because it's quite anxiety inducing to be like putting yourself out there and then that sense of like oh no it's out there should I take it down should I not yeah and then you know, like, but but I put so much work in. I was like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know? So I would say um, start by writing on your own and then slowly, slowly maybe um, show a friend and then show a few friends and then build up that courage and then maybe start an anonymous account and slowly, slowly, when you're ready to put a face to it. Yeah. Because um, I kind of wish I did that especially the anonymous part um, because easing into it was like a trial by fire um, and I would say in, I, I encourage everyone to express themselves that's why I like hosting the open mics because there is a way to be anonymous on Clubhouse yeah except for your voice, but I'm not going to be Googling your voice and who you are.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that you said that. I think that that's really important to I think check in with other people because the, a lot of the things that we start or businesses or things happen in the hypomanic stage and we cannot keep that going right? And I think, um, you know, asking people that you trust around you too, is this realistic? Thinking about yourself, like I try and always think of, like, would, you know, would depress Shaylee be able to keep this up? I mean, when I'm feeling good, I want to put out four, five, six podcasts a month, but I have uh, committed to two, maybe three, if it works out, because I want something that is sustainable. I also know myself, like, At first, I was gonna be like, Oh, what people do is they release it every Monday, and they have to do it every week. And that to me, that was completely overwhelming. Um, But so I just say, I'm going to put out two a month. And because I'm a teacher on call, I never know my schedule. So I, I don't say what day. And you know what I thought, Oh, then that's gonna, that's gonna hurt listenership, right? But it doesn't. And I joke that it's on brand to bipolar on brand that I do it when I feel but um I think setting myself up for success that way right like that that it isn't something tight cuz a lot of times I know some people need that um that type of uh, you know clear boundaries discipline but as soon as I feel like tight in a box kind of thing then I like quit everything or I'm angry right so I had to like I have a rhythm but I don't have a tight schedule and I work I work well like that. Would you say that you're a tight schedule person or do you like more of a rhythm with your creativity?
1: In terms of creativity, definitely the rhythm, but I yep. also appreciate rigidity and routine yep. um, because that helps keep the ball rolling. Um, because if I have too much like, oh, I'll do that, then it'll never happen. So yes. I would say the balance is being realistic. So I like how you said, you know, two months, it doesn't have to be the first or third yeah. you know, week. just needs to be two or it's okay. Yeah. And be kind to of yourself, even if you don't have to.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: yeah. So, so I, I take a
0: balance.
1: Um, and I have a really great friend. He's a historian lecturer in the UK with bipolar. And he said this this um, thing where I'll never forget, whereby he actually prefers his depressed state. Wow. And to me, I was like, most people crave the hypomanic state or, you mm. know, the product creative side to, to a point that, that's unhealthy, you know, inducing that yeah. with drugs or alcohol or not taking medication. But he said he actually prefers the depressive side because... Um, what he tries to do to balance it is in the hypomanic state, just compile, like right, 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 compile, but don't act on anything. Don't act on anything, just plan. And then only initiate in his depressive state because you're so sluggish that you are able to prioritize. Mm. And then you focus on sort of chugging forward. And even though you're depressive and sluggish, you have less things to do and look forward to that slowly, slowly brings you back to stability. Yeah. So I, as well, like now, whenever I feel like hypomanic or not sleeping, I just do, I just plan and write. Yep. But I don't
0: do. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And never make, like, if you know you're hypomanic, never make huge life decisions and especially on your own right like I hear about people move like one of my things and uh, people that listen to the podcast all the time I'm sorry that I tell the story all the time but like I wanted to move to like a hippie island like I I want to do I want to do I was also on brand I feel hippie island but I also like I want to do big big things right and I just I have this like when I'm hypomanic and I just have this like idea of uh, like, I wanna be extraordinary. I'm just like have this deep fear of being ordinary, right? Which is, it's the most, it sounds all, I don't know. It's, it seems vain, but I always always think that. So I have to bring myself down, right? Like I, you don't, the big, living in the big all the time isn't, isn't possible. And it definitely doesn't breed connection right? Like if I live in the big all the time, I'm not going to be able to help make dinners or like get my kids where I need to or have deep friendships, right? If I'm just chasing the next happy, you know, exciting things. So I have to remind myself a lot. That's really interesting. I like, I like that a lot. And I like the idea of like checking in with other people too or checking in with yourself in the different moods right because some things that seem like like sometimes you look back I like I'm embarrassed at the ideas that I thought were awesome
1: (laughs) yeah yeah embarrassed um but I really like what you said uh, and resonated with me when you said that you want it to be extraordinary you know that you want to be more than yourself because yeah that That was exactly it um and not like prior to the you know messiah complex and even believing that i'm jesus or mary or you know god or whichever like even before that point i i wanted to be extraordinary in the sense that like i wanted to be forbes 30 under 30. i wanted to be fast-tracked to md i wanted this i wanted that i want to compete in a triathlon i wanted you know so many things um and that led to a lot of like self-imposed stress and anxiety and timeline, yep. you know, because I was very accomplished in like high school and uni, um, you know, the, I guess like a lot of people with bipolar classically did well in school, right? Um, the, the perfectionist, the overachiever. And so I felt like I needed to keep that momentum going um, in adulthood, but yep. uh, Winning stopped because when you are in school, you get competitions, you get um, events. So I feel like I had a very unhealthy um, relationship with achievement and collecting accolades. I I joke with my therapist. It's like like Pokemon. Like gotta collect them all.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Just like
1: it doesn't matter what it is. I just need to collect them all. Yeah. yeah um and adulthood, you know, uh, the promotion is few and far in between, and all that all the um, accolades, unless you sign up for um, a master's or a course or whatever. Yeah. it's just not the same. you know, so so I felt like I'm stagnating um, and no longer
0: pursuing, you know, outstanding <laughs> yeah 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 it's too much and it like you said there's some of us that are um you know perfectionists of this and it just all it turned into is having a really nasty mean voice in my head telling me like nothing was ever good enough right and even though you think that that's only for you I remember my th- one of my therapists saying that's going to seep out even though you say oh what well, those high expectations are only for me eventually they start seeping out into relationships. And that was my biggest fear that I would be like that with my husband or my kids. And so uh, I really had to to work on, and still I can't say that I do well at this, but I work really hard to have that, um, you know, a kind inner voice, right? Like I try and think of, um, you know, what I would say to a friend or something like that. But yeah, I'm here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, if, if i talk to a friend like i talked to me i would have no friends like it's it's really really hard and especially when like when your brain lies to you right like when i make a mistake uh, like i'm so hard on myself and i'm like people make mistakes i'm a teacher i tell people mistakes just show that you're learning or trying right i uh, that's what i say i'm an elementary school teacher and then i'm like but i need to know that so i i I, I, uh, I yeah, and now, like, I want my legacy just to be that I loved well, right, and that I looked for, like, I'm a gatherer, that I looked for people that are struggling, and I gathered them, or I gave a safe space for voices, I think that, to me, you know, uh, yeah, that's, that's my hope, and I can see that, that you're doing that, and I think it's really beautiful, and I love that, I love, um, you know, that you're fun, I remember when I first saw you online, I'm like, oh, I want, she's quirky and fun. I want to be her friend. Oh yeah. You had a world bipolar day, like a whole, um, 20, like 12 hour thing. It was really, really cool. I loved it. You had like little pride, but yeah, it was, but it was, I liked that one. It was a good one. And you followed through all the hours. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Before um, we wrap up this part, and just so you know, I'm going to have an exclusive little interview about um, Jess's strategies that help her for the membership community that I will be starting. Watch online. I'm going to figure it out and set it up. Um, But before we get to that, I would love, love, love to hear what you would say to someone that was struggling right now. What would you say to someone that's hurting? Maybe they're depressed. Maybe they're manic. Um, what would you say to someone that's feeling, having hard feelings right now?
1: I think when I'm in that state myself, the best thing that I love hearing, and I will continue to say that to other people struggling, regardless what state of like mania a depression is that you're loved you matter and that it's okay not to be okay i think those are the mantras that i feel have helped me a lot especially the part that you matter you're enough um, and on top of that you know find find your humans find your people because you're you're not alone like you said it is it does feel very lonely especially coming out of mental hospital for the first time, feeling so much shame, so much shame, and to face your family, friends, colleagues, you know? um, And the last thing I felt I wanted was to find people. But I think if I were to look back, I would have been more active in like, hey, maybe I want to talk to someone who can yeah. diagnose as well. So, uh, there's there's so much, you know, resources out there, your podcasts, the Clubhouse, and the Comic Club is not the only one. There's, like, Support Club, Bipolar Support Club, and the Carers community, you know, Overcoming Addiction, et cetera, um, that is widely available on Clubhouse and other channels, you know, so um, we're very blessed in the, in the day and age of you know, uh, information. It can be overwhelming, but it's there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I think about, um, I think about self-care, but then I think about like what you're talking about. I think community care is as equally, if not more important um, um to have. And I think it's overlooked and it, yeah, it's just it seems so simple, but it's just so powerful, so powerful to know you're not alone i mean i know my core wound is feeling misunderstood like my whole life and just having someone else say you know me too or i've experienced that or the fact that you and i can laugh together right like i don't want to laugh with someone about the things that i've done that are really bizarre and somewhat embarrassing if they don't really get you know where that was coming from so um yeah yeah and i i like you said i found some of like I just feel like everyone I interview are my new besties. Like it's, it just is, it just is. But so um, tune in, uh, in the membership group for the next part cause I'm gonna ask Jess some more things. But for now, thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you for just showing up as your full self and putting um, yourself out there because I know it gives freedom for other people to show up in the spaces you create. And yeah, thank you for the work that you're doing in the world.
1: Thank you for having me. This was so much fun.
0: (laughs) This is Bipolar. Thanks again for tuning in. You can find video versions of This is Bipolar on our YouTube channel. We also have all our previous and soon-to-be-future episodes of the podcast on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, and Google Play. We spend most of our time on Instagram, at this.is.bipolar. There is a vibrant community there where we have conversations and post different ideas and different strategies, and we'd just love for you to join us there. It is so helpful if you enjoy our work, or think it would be helpful to someone if you could like and share and save and follow us in all or any of those spaces. If you're a listener for the podcast, if you could leave a review, we would be forever grateful. Again, thank you for being here with us. Let's get the word out. Let's share lived experiences so that we can change the ideas that people have about bipolar and help those of us that live with it feel less alone. This is bipolar.